Praise the Lord. Amen. We're glad to be in the house of God today. We've got several not here today, 
uh, due to the rain. So we want to uh, hopefully some more will be coming on here shortly. And being in Sunday school, we'll have a few more here in a little bit. Those that have joined us on live stream, thank you so much for being with us in the house of God today. We want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister. Uh, we do have some that are sick. want to continue to be praying for them. We also have some, uh, like I said, that's not here this morning due to the rain. Uh, so uh, don't want to drive out in the rain, but we want to be praying for them. Hope they've joined us on our live stream to be a part of our Sunday school class this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in our class today. Remember, if you're on live stream, you've got a prayer request. You can text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744 so we can partner together with you in prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today again. Thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this great opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, today I pray that you'll move and minister in a mighty way in our Sunday school class today. You see each heart, each life that's represented not only in-house, but those that have joined us on live feed. Father, you see those that are sick, those that are not able to be here, those that are in the hospital, the nursing homes, wherever they may be today, Father, I'm praying that you'll move and minister in their lives this very day, this very hour. God, I pray that you'll touch the Sunday school teachers this morning as they bring forth your word. I pray that you'd resonate into their hearts and lives, your word today. Help it to touch and minister. Help us to change our lives to be more like you. Father, we thank you for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This morning, as we continue our unit that we've been looking at, a unit is uh, a portion of Sunday school lessons over the course of the quarter, the quarter being 13 weeks. Uh, throughout the year. Uh, this unit uh, has had about three or four lessons already, and we're going into the next one. The unit is the church, the church. We have talked on multiple occasions about what the church is. We, as the body of believers, are the church. It's not, uh, it's not this building. Yes, we call this building our church. The church house is the building uh, but we as individuals are the church. And so in this unit of the church, we're going to be looking at a few things. This Sunday school lesson is called Life in the Christian Community. Life in a Christian Community. Several aspects of life in a Christian community that we're looking at is God wills for his followers to live in close fellowship. God wants us to have fellowship with one another. God wants us to be a part of each other's lives. God wants us to be interactive with one another. Uh, one of the things about a church, a church family, is, I'm going to be real, I mean, some of you are the same way, uh, is I see you guys more than I see my own, my own family. Why? Because this is, this is where I live at. Uh, some of you live further away from your family, your biological family, uh, parents, brothers and sisters, things like that. And so we see our church family a lot of times more than we see our family, our biological family. So we are in a fellowship with one another. We need to remember that. We want God, and that's a part of what God wants, is God is wanting for us to have a close fellowship. Today, we're going to focus on learning about what life is like living in a Christian community. What is it like? Uh, I've had people. I've had people over the years of ministry. I've learned, brother Larry. I can't please everybody. I ain't gonna make everybody happy. Learned that. 
I've had some people, they'll say, uh, I, I, I have, I've had people, they, they, they get mad at me. They say, you're, too in, you, you're, you're not involved enough in the things going on in our lives. And then I have another family, you're too involved in things. This, in, in things. I'm, not more, I'm no more involved in what people, what people want me to be. If you come to me with something and you, we talk about it, guess what? I, you're inviting me to help. You're inviting me to pray. You're inviting me to be a part of. And so uh, that's, that's the thing. Uh, you're never going to. You're never going to have everybody happy, but the facts of it is, is we need to learn what the biblical aspects of living in a Christian community, and that's what we have here. Why is it important to have a good Christian community? It's, a, it's important because a loving church, a loving Christian community, a loving church, a loving church family, you've got to realize, let's replace the word church into what we are. We are a Christian community, a Christian family. We're a network of individuals. A loving Christian church is, is a potent witness, is a strong witness to lost people. If somebody is facing a hardship and they're not a part of a Christian community, they're not a part of a church, they're not a part of a Christian family like we have, uh, and they're facing something, and then they see you facing something similar to what they're going through, and they see the rally of the Christian community being around them, they're going to witness that, and they're going to see that, and they're like, I want to be a part of that. As a church family, as a church community, we, we're, we're one with one another. We, we help one another. We're part of one another, and so that's a very important aspect of church, and we need to realize that. I've had... I've had people to tell me, they say, uh, we'll just use this as an example. When, uh, when a death occurs in their family, and they, uh, I've had people to push, push me and push everybody else away, and they want to deal with it their self. I've had uh, aspects of things going on in people's lives, and they don't want nobody around. They want to deal with it their self. I, look, I'm going to be real with you. I know that people are private. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having privacy, but having a close-knit part of your church family being a part of that is a helps make a strong uh, example for not only those around, but it helps you in facing that. Uh, and that's a big thing. and understand is as a part of Christian community when things happen in our lives we can lean on one another to build strength we can lean on one another to help one another uh, that's what we're supposed to do as a church family as a Christian community so let's take a look at Acts chapter 4 Acts chapter 4 and verse 32 Acts chapter 4 
and verse 32. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. In other words, they was united together in a Christian community. And no one said that, of in, that uh, any of these things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. What does this, what does this verse mean to us? So let's break it down just really quickly as we move into this Sunday school lesson. The full number of those, in other words, everybody that was connected to the church family, everybody that was connected to the church community, everybody that was a part of the body of believers that day, they was there together. If one hurt, we all hurt. If one had good things happening, we all was happy about those things. And in the last section of this, it says, they, nobody said, this is mine, it's not yours. They had everything in common. In other words, they was helping one another with the things that was going on in their lives. This church has greatly done that. I have stood, I've stood before this congregation before and I said, okay, we've got a family that's connected to this church, that has a need, and we need to help them with some groceries. We need to help them with this. Or we need, I didn't say who it was. I just said it's a part of our body of believers and there's, there's a need and we need to help. And I need $300, whatever it may have been, okay? And by the end of the service, we got a whole lot more than that. And so we was able to put the surplus into the benevolence fund, but we was able to help in that. And that's what this verse is all about. It is about those folks helping one another, going through that time of need, helping to be a part of what's going on. And that's what a body of believers, that's what a church is all about. The church, we've already said this every Sunday. We've said this for the last three Sundays. The church is not, and I've said this for years, the church is not a building. The church is an assembly of people of faith in Jesus Christ. The church is an assembly of people with faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge with that. People. People. The, here's a joke. This is, please understand, this is a joke. If you want a perfect church, build the building, lock the door, and you stand on the outside, and now you have a perfect church. There's nobody in there. Why? Because there is no such thing as a perfect church. And what we've got to realize is, like, for example, with this body of believers, do you realize that there's about, there's about 120, plus or minus, there's about 120 people connected with this body of believers? That is including, all, that includes all of our folks that comes to church, that includes our homebounds, the people that can't come, that is including everybody. We've got about 120. So guess what? There's 120 personalities. There's 120 different opinions. Did you realize that sometimes even husband and wives have difference of opinions? I know that's a, that's a uh, you know, something strange for folks, but it does happen. But what we've got to realize is as a body of believers, we come together to support one another, to build one another up, and we've got to realize that that's the way God wants it to be. It's been said before, this church would be a great church if it wasn't for all the people. But what we've got to realize is when you do that, you don't have 
the connectivity that we have with our church family. When COVID happened and I was standing here, I was literally, I was standing here and I'm preaching and I'm teaching Sunday school lessons. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm doing those. Brother Larry, right there right where you're sitting at, in that aisle right there, that's where the tripod was standing at with the camera. We had we was re renovating some things. We had wires strode everywhere. But that's where the camera was at. And I was preaching and I was teaching and stuff to a camera and there's nobody in here. And then there was one day that, y'all remember, we, we, had the, we had the sanctuary painted. We had somebody come in and actually paint this. We didn't paint it ourselves. We painted everything else, but the sanctuary we didn't. We had hired somebody to come paint it because I didn't want to get nothing on this carpet and get anybody mad at me. But we had, we had that one Wednesday night. I was up here preaching or up here doing Bible study that Wednesday night, and the painter was on a ladder back there in the back. He's painting. Had another one painting. They was, they was laying on the floor doing the baseboard that Wednesday night. They were still painting. They was trying to finish up. They was doing final touches. And I'm doing Bible study. And the painter, he yelled out in the middle of, it, of, the, of the sermon. He said, amen. Scared me to death. Because I'd been for so many months with nobody in here. And it scared me because somebody said, amen. <clears throat> but what we've got to think about is it's so much better with people here. People of shared faith. In Christ are the church. Where they're meeting in one location, they're meeting in their homes, they're meeting in a community. We are the church. The church gathered together in one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all. The church is a community of faith. It is people living by God's grace in their community. But as a community which powerfully illustrated in the book of Acts, as a community, they pray together, they play together, they eat together, they worship together, they are together. They face bad things together. They face good things together. We are the salt and the light together in this world we're living in. We face things together as a church family. So let's take a look at a worshiping community, a worshiping community. Take a look. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Take a look at first, let's read verses 42 through 45. 42 through 45. <clears throat> and it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and di distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Remember, I've told you before, the government now, in today's time, in the year 2024, the United States government, the state of Alabama, they operate and control the social programs that takes care of the people. We're talking about Medicaid. We're talking about food stamps. We're talking about all of those social programs that takes care of the people. Anybody that is on those programs legitimately, and I say that very, very strongly, 
Because I, I believe there's a lot of people, that's the first problem. There's a lot of people on those programs that shouldn't be. But anyone on those programs, legitimately on those programs, they'll tell you there is problems with the program. Here's what we've got to realize. Once the government took over those programs, there's issues with that. The church originally was operating those programs. The church world was operating those programs. If anyone had uh, needed food, they came to the church. They didn't go to the courthouse. They came to the church house. And this is a bit to me when you look, if you step back and you're, if you're a student of history and you really look at true history, you go back in time and you see the correlation that happens there whenever the church world did, stopped running those social programs and people stopped coming to the church to, to uh, get the assistance that's needed and they started running to the government, you start seeing a decline in the church influence in the community and the people. I, look, people still come to the church for groceries. People still come to the church for help when they need. But it's not like it used to be. And the church cannot help everybody like they used to could. Why? Because of this verse right here. People were, people were continuously giving into the church funds so that they could help. I'm not telling, look, I'm not telling everybody that they got to give more and more money. What I'm saying is simply this. When the government started taking over those things, that's when the church no longer was able to do what it was primarily supposed to be doing. First of all, reaching the lost. Second of all, helping those in a time of need. The primary reason that believers came together was, was to worship, was to pray, was to read the Word of God, was to have the Lord's Supper, and was to have time of fellowship. These aspects of the church still remain. Worship, prayer, the Word, the Lord's Supper, fellowship. 2,000 years later, as we are sitting today, these are still key elements of the church ministry. As the apostles taught the doctrines, the teachings, the commands of Jesus, God confirmed His Word with signs and wonders. Mark chapter 16 tells us that when Jesus ascended into the heavens, the apostles go out preaching and bring, brought people to the house of God. The Lord worked with them and confirmed His Word through the signs and wonders. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that Paul testified that God worked mightily through his ministry. The manifestation of God's power along with the preaching of his word resulted in reverent awe and faith in the hearts of the new believers and the new converts. When people was coming to the house of God, they was receiving the word of God. They had times of prayer. They had times of fellowship. They received the things they needed in the physical sense. What was that? They needed little groceries. They needed help with this. They needed help with that. They needed help putting a new roof on the house. Whatever the case was, remember that. I mean, you go back in time, people was needing uh, help repairing the roof. People from the church went and helped them do that. And even still today, people will call me and say, hey, is somebody in the church that can help do plumbing, help do electrical, help do this? 
And we try our best to send folk. Well, I've got a listing of those folks that can do those things. And why? Because the church family helps one another. The powerful proclamation of the word is what caused the people to continue together in fellowship and to help as help with people's needs as they had the ability. Here's where here, here's something here's something that a lot, I've I've had this I've seen this I've talked with people about this I've witnessed this happening. It says that they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all who had need. What we've got to realize is if you if if you've got groceries in your house and somebody has a need and you give them everything to where that you don't have then now somebody's got to help you. That's not a biblical aspect. Does that make sense? I, if all I've got in my house is a loaf of bread and one jar of peanut butter and one jar of jelly and Brother Chuck needs something to eat, then I'm going to say, hey, come on over to the house. We'll each have a sandwich. But I can't give him what I've got and then now I'm, in, I'm the one in need. Oh, people will say, oh, but you got to have faith that God's going to supply. God's going to supply. He did. I've got that loaf of bread, that peanut butter, and that jelly. <laughs> he supplied. I can't just give away, but what did I do? I invited Chuck to come in and let's both have a sandwich, okay? Let's both have what we need, okay? Do you, are you following what I'm saying? We are to help one another. And I've asked this church on numerous occasions, and we and we all it always fulfills it always supplied it's always happened somebody has a need in this church we've always stepped up and we've always helped out and we've taken care we've it's always happened we always step up and supply so this verse this church lives it to the T in my opinion we always help in those times of need Many of the new converts of the new, of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, they were from places far away, beyond Jerusalem. Therefore, they depended upon the hospitality and the compassion of those fellow believers. They didn't have their Cadillac that they could get in and drive back and forth to the back and forth to their home. They had they walked miles to get to church. So they did, and they wasn't a McDonald's on every corner. So they had to they had to depend on one another. The fellowship that's referred here in these verses refers to a translation where that they had all things in common. In other words, people, the fellowship, the community, the relationship with one another, they shared their resources to help minister to each other's needs. You ever you heard those saying all that? Oh, he he'll give you the shirt off of his back. That's the that's what this is talking about. Helping those in time of need. This level of concern was so strong that the believers were willing to sell some of their possessions. They was willing to sell some of their possessions to help take care of those around. It does not say that they sold everything they had it says that they sold their possessions they had an ex, uh, let's translate that to our time they had a, they had an extra 10 10 acres of land over somewhere that they're not using they're never going to use they have no plans to use it's just sitting there what did they do 
There's a need. They could sell that 10 acres of land for $1,000. They went and they done that. I know it's a whole lot more than $1,000, but you get my point. Why? They took those funds to take care of those in need in the church. That's what this is all about. Let's go on to verse 46 and 47. 46 and 47 says this, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we've got to realize and we've got to understand is that's what, this is what the church is supposed to be about. Ministering to the needs of those around. And as we're doing that, when we minister to those people that have a need, there's going to be those day by day being saved. They're, why? Because the early church was finding its footing and discovering that as a relationship that they have with those around, and it, that relationship will grow and it will flourish into a stronger type of fellowship. Please remember, please note, the New Testament, as what we're reading, the New Testament wasn't written yet. They're living the New Testament. The New Testament is unfolding right before their eyes. The scriptures that they had is what we call the Old Testament. These folks as they're living, they don't have this. They don't have a book that even just the Old Testament was put together in. They had to go to the church and have the Word of God read to them. They had to, they, remember what, what did David say? He said that I hide his Word in my heart. Why? Because they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have, a, they didn't have this right here that they... They didn't have this, Brother Emery. They had to go to the church house. They sat on a, a rock. They, had, they, sat, they leaned against a wall. They did that, and what, what happened? Somebody read the Scriptures to them. Somebody read Isaiah chapter 53 to them. Somebody read Isaiah chapter 52. Somebody read Joel. Somebody read those Scriptures to them, and then what happened? They left and they had to hide the Word of God in their heart. They recited it at home. What would happen today if we had to depend on somebody reading, and then we had to, as we left the church, we had to take that Word from memory and then go back and recite it to ourselves at home? I'm going to tell you something. It would be a big thing for us. You know why? A lot of folks would have more of the word in their heart if they had to recite that back. We need to get back into those things. I'm not telling you to turn all your Bibles in. Because I'm going to tell you, I got a lot of Bibles. But what we've got to realize is we need to have more of the word of God in our hearts and our lives. Amen? That's what we really need. Amen? The instructions of the apostles, the instructions that the apostles had was this. Number one. They had to teach believers to see the scriptures and to see that Jesus was the Messiah of the Word of God. Number two, they had to faithfully convey the teachings and the commands of Christ. Number three, they had to help believers understand what the New, 
covenant meant for them in faith and in practice. As the church grew, things had to change. As the church grew, they had to do things a little bit different. As the church grew, they had to form a new identity in Christ. They continued to come to the temple for prayer and worship, though likely they disconnected from offering sacrifices. Why? Because Jesus was and is the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. They didn't have to bring sacrifices anymore. Things started to change. They lived the New Testament. They, it, it opened right before their eyes, and we need to be part, we're a part of that New Testament church. Amen? The believers continued to praise God daily and found favor with the community, and God added to the church daily those who came to the faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Joy is a powerful witness to the gospel. Did, did you, do you hear this? Joy is a powerful witness to the gospel. If you go in and you're inviting somebody to church, if Brother Emory's going to invite somebody to church and he says, bless God, I'd just be glad if you'd come to church with us. That don't sound very inviting, does it? It's not an inviting invite to church. Why? He sounds angry. He sounds upset. I'm so mad at that pastor over there. He done this, this, and this. Why don't you just come over there to the church and see it for yourself? I don't want to go over there. I won't meet that bald-headed crazy guy. Why? Because he's angry. What we've got to realize is joy is a powerful witness to the gospel. Joy is the witness. It's not anger. It's not malice. It's not dissension. And it's not gossip. Joy is the witness of the gospel. There was a story that was told, and a pastor friend of mine told this several years ago. He said this. He said he went into the he became the new pastor of a church, and he's, you know, he's starting to connect with people in the community, and he'd been there about six months, and he walks into the local hardware store, little mom and pop hardware store. Now let me pause right there for just a second, because there was a lady at the church that had been telling him, my son works at the local hardware store. And I sure do wish that you would go in there and maybe if you invited my son to church, maybe he would come to church. Well, the pastor was one day working on something around the church, probably changing a light switch, doing something of that nature. And he, and he found need to go to the hardware store. So he goes down to the hardware store and that, the, the lady that had gone to his church that wanted him to invite the son to church, she'd already showed him a picture. So he knew what this guy looks like. So he goes in the hardware store and he's got, he's got work clothes on, probably got a ball cap. He goes in the hardware store and he finds what he's needing. And he starts to look around and he, he sees that lady's son. So he goes up to him and he says, hey, man, how are you doing? He said, I, uh, he said I, I, wanted you to, I wanted you to know something. He said, I'm the new pastor over at your mom's church and I'd love for you to come be in service with us. He said, oh, pastor, I know who you are. Mom, mom, mom tears you up every Sunday at lunch. He said, what do you mean? Oh, she comes home and tells us everything you've done wrong, every, how, how you preached the wrong way, how you misquoted this, how you done that, all these things. She tells us all about those things. Do you think that that son wants to go to church with his mom? No. Why? 
She's dogging the pastor. You think she wants, he wants to go to... No, he don't. Joy is the witness that we need to have. Joy is what we need to do in proclaiming the gospel and in inviting people to church. There's no evangelism campaign more powerful than a church in unity. We're not going to always agree one with another. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have times that we don't agree. But the fact of the matter is, is we are a church family. Do you know how I know this? You walked in the door today. That means we're a part of a church family. I know that there's some that's at home due to, due to the rain. It's supposed to start raining here real, here real bad here shortly. But the fact is, we are a part of a church family. Those that was not able to be here, we're a part of a church family. We may not always enjoy one another company. There's times I'm starting to come around folks and they might not want me to be around. But we're still a part of a church family. We need to, people, the world is slap full of people looking for a place to connect. And connections between members of the body of Christ are very attractive to a lonely world. If you don't believe me, if you, if you, I'm not telling everybody to go on Facebook. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to promote social media. Social media is out there. Those that are on social media, those that are on Facebook, you see it all the time in a lot of the what's happening groups for the, for the city, for the county. You see a lot of time. What are they posting? Looking for a church. Looking for a church. Looking for a church. And every time I see those, I'm posting in there. I don't just say, we'd love to see you at Coosa Valley Church of God. Nope. I go in there and I say, we'd love for you to be our guest at Coosa Valley Church of God. Here is our service times. Here is our address. Visit us online at this. And you try to put as much information in there. Why? Because that's showing that you are proud of that church. Then I go back onto our private page and I post a link on there and say, hey, tell everybody in the church, hey, go invite these folks to church. Why? Because we want people to realize that we are a body of believers that wants people to connect with us. Amen? We need to be a God-built household. Our household, the church family, it needs to be a God-built household. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. We need to have an unshakable, the house needs to have an unshakable foundation. What does this mean? If you don't know what you're standing for, you'll fall for anything. If you don't know what we believe in, you'll fall for anything. We need to have an unshakable foundation. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. The metaphor of building a building is used for the church family. This describes a dwelling place of God. Paul in these scriptures is not referring to sheetrock, metal studs, 
two by fours, or carpet. Paul is referring to you and I. It is referring to the spiritual structure of the church. And then in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, he addresses the Gentiles with the eternal plans of God. He tells them that the eternal plans of God is a mystery, but is an intricate part of the promises that have always been the intent of God through Jesus Christ. There was even a place in the temple known as the court of the Gentiles. It was largely ignored by the Jewish religious leaders, but was very clear to Jesus when he cleared the merchants and the money changers out of that temple. He tells them in Mark chapter 11 and verse 17, Jesus quotes Isaiah 56 and 7. So the day that Jesus goes in and clears the temple of the money changers, that section was in the court of the Gentiles of the temple. Those money changers were set up by the religious leaders in the court of the Gentiles in the temple, and Jesus goes in and clears those things out, and he quotes Isaiah 56 and 7, but it is referenced into Mark chapter 11 and 17, and he says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. That's why I've said before, I want all people to come into the house of God. But the fact of the matter is, there's, there's still churches that do not want somebody that does not smell like them, look like them, act like them, behave like them. What we've got to realize is God wants everybody to have a stable relationship one with another. To have a stable relationship, we've got to have the cornerstone. What does it say? Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone of a firm foundation. Jesus sets the standards. Everything else must align with his teachings and his standards. We cannot deviate from what Jesus has laid out in the scriptures. The prophets from the Old Testament foretold the coming of the Messiah. Jesus came as the Savior of the world. A light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, the Messiah. Jesus was the start of something, and he built it on the timeless truths and the promises of God. Only in this way could the structure of the spiritual building stand. That's the only way that the church can stand is by building on a firm foundation. Take a look at verse 21 and 22. 21 and 22, look at what it tells us. It says, In whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus and Jesus alone is the cornerstone. The words, the prophets, the teachings of the apostle are part of the foundation. 
And the believers, you and I, we form the rest of the structure of the spiritual building of the church. All who repent, all who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are chosen of God. Every believer is given a spiritual gift, a grace gift. And that gift is the key to finding our place in God's church. If we yield to the master's plans, he'll put us exactly where we need to be for the building up and the edification of the spiritual foundation and have the fulfillment of the divine purpose of God. We must be willing to set aside our own agendas. We must be willing to set aside our own agendas. I've heard too many people come to the church house and they'll say, Oh, I want to be a part of this. Y'all, I've heard this so many times. I want to be a part of the praise team. I want to be a part of the praise team. Wonderful. We have practices here. and Oh, I don't want to be a part of the practice. I want to just be up on the stage and sing. Brother Chuck, if you want to be a part of the praise... <laughs> Brother Chuck ain't never asked me that, okay? But if Brother Chuck wants to be a part of the praise team... There's practice times. There's times of practice where they get together and they practice and they go over the songs and, and we've had people be a, that wants to be a part of the praise team. We've told them up front, I want you to be a part of practice for about six months before you join the, before you're going on. The, I, I don't want to do that. I just want to go up and sing. You've got an agenda then. There's an agenda in your mindset. Brother Andy, why do you, why do you make it do the... Because we want to know, number one, and I'm on, oh, I'm, I'm big, I'm, mm, you better hush your mouth, Pastor Andy, you won't get in trouble. Well, number one, you want to know, want to know if you're going to be faithful to it. But Larry, we'd have been over at your house multiple times and had practices, hadn't we? Or, well, let me rephrase that. They've had practices that mean you've had drink coffee on the back porch. <laughs> We're just there to move things around as they need us, right? We're moral support, that's right. <laughs> but, but you see what I'm saying is, is we've got to set aside our own agenda and be a part of the community. People have said, well, I want, to, I want to be a part of the praise team. We've had people literally connected with this church. They're no longer here. But we've had people come to us and we've said, okay, you want to be a part of the praise team? Then be a part of practices. A whole year goes by and they're never a part of the praise team. They never joined a practice. They never come to anything, and then they leave the church, and they tell people, I'm leaving because they wouldn't let me sing. I don't find where that's at. There's an agenda that people have, and we've got to be willing to set that aside to be a part of the family of God. Everybody in this church has gotten the message and got the word that Brother Hodo died yesterday morning. Powerful, powerful man of God. Faithful member of this church for all of these years. Been retired from pastoral work for 27 years due to health. But he didn't stop being a witness. One of the things that's been shared and the stories that's been told over the last couple of days, me sitting there with the family, we're sharing stories, we're laughing, we're crying telling stories about Brother Hodo, one of the things that jumped out of what he one of the things that he said resonated with me. 
He'd moved back to Alabama, and there was a reason he moved back to Alabama from another state, and he moved back to Alabama, and the state overseer had come to him and said, I want you to go to this church, and I want you to pastor there, and there's a reason why I want you to go there to pastor. Brother Hodo said, I want to pray about it. So he goes to him the next day, and he says, I prayed about it, but I don't have a clear vision or clear mindset of where, where I need to go, but you're my state overseer. I'm submitting myself to your authority, and I'm going to go there. And Brother Hodo went, and a powerful move happened. That's one of the things. It wasn't Brother Hodo's agenda. It was the agenda that God wanted for that particular time and that season. What we've got to realize and understand is we've got to put aside our agenda. We've got to de deny the desires of the flesh of our own uh, grandosement. Yeah, I just made that word up. Go put that one in the Webster's Dictionary. Our own self-gratification, our own self-agenda, and we've got to submit to God's plans and God's purposes for our lives. Only then will we find the meaning and significance as we contribute to the health and the growth of God's church. When we put aside our agenda and we submit to what God has for the church, then and only then will we be a part of the family of God. If we try to force ourselves into places and spaces where God has not formed us, we will create problems for not only ourselves, but for the people around us. I'm going to tell you something. I've seen this unfold time and time again. But if we let God do His will and allow God to help us to find the perfect spot for we to be a part of His holy temple, the dwelling where God lives in our lives. That is verse 22. In Him, we are being built together into the place where God wants us to be. It's no longer the mountain. It's no longer the valley. But it's where God wants us to be at. Let's go on. Faithful and holy community. Last few moments, let's, let's look at this. Faithful and holy community. Take a look at you. You turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 14. We'll, we may not read all of them, but that's where we're going to be at. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 3. Let's read 3, 4, and 5. We always thank God, the Father of our of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. This is Paul writing a letter to the Colossians church, and he says, we give God thanks for you. He says, we've heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Gathered together as a congregation on a Sunday morning. Did you know the Bible never distinguishes that we're supposed to have church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? That's a man-made thing, right? And I'm going I'm to take it one step further. That's a Western world thing. That means United States, by the way. That's us. 
I've, we've, I've actually tried, we, where we was pastoring at before, we was trying to help another church. Me and another pastor was coming together, and we was trying to help another church that didn't have a pastor, and we was trying to help them, and we said, okay, if you'll move, and instead of having your, your services at 11 o'clock, Brother Art, we did, we, we, we met with this congregation. We said, if, instead of having your services at 11 o'clock, if you'll have your services at, it was either 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, then what we'll do is we'll rotate. I'll go one Sunday, this other pastor will go the other Sunday, and we'll, we'll be in your services then, and that way we'll do that. Do you know what they told us? Nope, we can't do that. Service is supposed to be at 11 o'clock on Sundays. We can't change that time. Okay. Two weeks, they closed the doors, shut the doors, locked them, sold the property. Why? Because they was unwilling to bend on something that is arbitrarily like time. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. It does say, it does say that they gathered together on the first day. And what's the first day? Sunday. I mean, that's where we get that from. But what we've got to realize and understand is as these church folks, as they gathered together, reading here in Colossians, the church being a holy community consisting of believers who are joyful, faithful to God and His Word. Paul was telling the believers that he and his team had been praying for them learning of their faith and their love for people. Paul had heard they'd been looking forward to the joys of heaven since the gospel had first been preached. They had heard, they believed, their faith, their love, their hope, and their joy had blossomed. Churches were filled with people of faith, and they bear the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is not anger and resentment. A barren church, which is the example I just gave to you, a barren church, that church that was not willing to make a change, they're filled with doubt, anger, and resentment. Their foundation is on the wrong foundation. Or their building is on the wrong foundation, excuse me. Their building is on the wrong foundation. Our faith is not in a clock. Our faith is not in this building, but our faith is in Jesus Christ in whom the forgiven of in whom our sins are forgiven. Our life has been restored, and we have a future and a hope. This is the truth of the Word of God. Our hope is in heaven, and it gives us a goal. That goal is with that goal, we don't, have to wonder, we don't have to wonder aimlessly. We don't have to be disappointed. Why? Because we have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul told the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14 that we need to press towards the prize of the high calling of God. We need to have faith in God. We need to have faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our faith in God produces love, hope, joy, peace, long-suffering. It brings forth the fruit of good works out of our lives. Paul notes that after he preached the gospel to the Colossians church, he heard of a glowing report of their faith and their love. There was a witness that was given because somebody came to the Colossian church and said, I have a need. And the Colossians church wrapped their arms around them and showed love, hope, faith, joy, 
and good works into that person's life. Why? Because the grace of God worked through the body of believers to help fulfill the promises of God. We have a Greek word here, hope. This word hope means to anticipate with confident expectation. The word hope means to anticipate with confident expectation. The word trust in the Greek is translated into or the word the word the word trust in the New Testament is translated into the same Greek word. So the word hope and the word trust in the Greek main, means the exact same thing for you and I. There's three evidence of salvation. Faith, hope, and love. The word hope, the word trust, means to anticipate with confident expectation. I don't know about you, but I came to church this morning with hope, with trust. What was that? I've got the hope, I've got the trust, and I came to church and anticipated with confident expectation that God is going to do something in somebody's life. I have the hope that God's going to do something. I've got confident expectation. That's what we've got to have, church. Take a look at verses, uh, let's read verse 9. Verse 9 says this, And from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul told the church from the day we heard about the great reports from your church, from your gathering of people, from what's going on at the Colossians church. Paul says, we've prayed that you'll continue to grow in God. We pray that you'll continue to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. God has a plan. God has a purpose for every body of believer, and that plan is only discerned through the Spirit, not political maneuvers. The spiritual discernment in which a church can bear good fruit and honor God is we need to seek that we, as a church, we should seek to be a blessing first to the household of faith. Take a look at, I think it's in verse, no it's not. It's in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Every church should be a blessing first to the household of faith. We're supposed to support one another in this household of faith. We're supposed to build one another up in this household of faith. And how many times have I presented to this body of believers and I've said, we don't need to forget our homebounds. We don't need to forget those that are not able to be here. I'm so, I am so irritated but so thankful at Live Feed. I'm thankful we have Live Feed because it gives the opportunity for those that's not able to be here. Somebody may wake up sick this Sunday and they're not able to be at church. They're able to join us on Live Feed. I'm thankful of that. But there's so many that's starting to, that has not connected with us, of course. It's that church down the road. They've started to depend on that and not be in the house and in, in the in in here to support one another. 
I, I know that there's people that can't come to, on Wednesday nights because it's it's dark and you don't want to drive. In. I got that. I, God's all over that. That's gr- I, It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we've got to realize and understand is we've got to come together. We need to be a part of one another. We are a part of the household of faith. And you'll remember, I've, I've announced it many a times. We need to be praying for those that are homebound. We need to pray for those that are sick, those that are not able to be here. Why? Because they're a part of our household of faith. We need to be a blessing even to them. T.L. Lowry once said, I don't understand some people. T.L. Lowry, one of great, a great minister of the gospel, powerful, powerful minister of the gospel. He once said, I don't understand some people. They act like their religion is a burden to them. You couldn't run fast enough to get that kind of religion off of me. Do you understand what what this is talking about? Some people, they believe, what he's saying is this, they act like the act of being a part of a family of God. They act like being a Christian is such a burden to them. If it was such a burden, T.O. Lowry says, you couldn't run fast enough to get that kind of religion off of me. Paul prayed the Colossians church would understand this is not a burden. This relationship with God is not a burden. But we need to walk in victory, in joy, in faith, and in the knowledge of God. When we're facing opposition from cults or culture of the day, we need to have the might and the strength of the Holy Spirit to give us an advantage to make it through one more day. Amen. Live feed, thank you so much for being with us. Join us back in about 15 minutes for our Sunday morning worship. Remember, if you have a prayer request, you can text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744. You can text that keyword prayer to that number because we want to partner together with you in prayer. May the good Lord bless you as our prayer. Join us back in about 15 minutes. May God bless you.